Es mejor llegar tarde a casa que nunca volver a llegar. Es mejor llegar tarde al trabajo que nunca volver a trabajar. Y es mejor recoger tarde a tus hijos que nunca volver a recogerlos. Llegar tarde a donde vayas por esperar a que pase el tren es mucho mejor que arriesgar tu vida tratando de ganarle el paso. Por algo existe el dicho, más vale tarde que nunca. Alto, el tren no para. Mensaje de Nitzel. Better Banking is getting an unbelievable 0.99% APR rate on a home equity line of credit from First Commonwealth Bank to turn your bathroom into your, wow, I love this bathroom, bathroom. 0.99% introductory APR for six months that adjusts to a variable rate based on Wall Street Journal prime rate plus or minus a margin with a minimum rate of 2.99% and a maximum rate of 18%. Offer subject to change or withdrawal at any time. Call 1-800-711-2265 for details about credit costs and terms. Equal housing lender, First Commonwealth Bank, member FDIC. What if you could be a superhero? Dave here from DC On Screen. If you love this show and you want to see it continue and thrive, please be sure to visit iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a five-star written review. The process is faster than a speeding bullet. You don't even have to wear tights or a cape. I mean, you can, if you're into that kind of thing. No judgment. What's important is that you tell the world what you like about the show and why you think they should be listening too. It really does go a long way in helping our show grow and expand, pushing us into more people's eye and ear holes. That was a weird way to put that. By the way, leaving a five-star written review gets you entered into a drawing to win a free DC trade paperback DVD or Blu-ray valued at $15 or less. One in ten will win and will be chosen through a true number generator on random.org. Think of it as our version of that antiquated sexist moment where the superhero saves the girl and she gives him a little jaw sugar. <laughs> All right, begging is over. Time for a brand new episode of DC On Screen. Welcome into DC On Screen, episode 305. 305, Jason. We've established that at least. <laughs> Not much else. Uh, this is our weekly DC TV episode. I am your host, David C. Robertson, and I am positively distraught. Despite my chipper demeanor, I am positively distraught over Peter Capaldi leaving Doctor Who. This is my co-host, Jason Goss. Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. I can only hope they write him out well. Yeah. And you know, you know, we're not a Doctor Who podcast. So I don't want to get too deep into this, but, you know, he... A, like a month ago, he was in an interview and he said that he wanted to stay for a long time. And now he's saying it's time to move on. And then they asked him, you know, how long? And he says, Christmas 2017, I'm told. Mm. So it sounds like to me that they're pushing him out. And, you know, sales have been down in merchandising and uh, the ratings have been a little down from what I understand. Yeah. And uh, I'm assuming that they're going to replace him with another, you know, hot toddy Doctor Who. another Another doctor who's like, you know. 20s or 30s, another David Tennant, Matt Smith type. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and which is sad. I, you know, I love Peter Capaldi. My my real hope. It's um, he. I thought he did a good job. Uh, some of the stuff didn't hit as well with him. Some of the stuff hit better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, you experience that with every doctor. Everybody's got their favorite for a reason. And I'm sure yeah. there. Are, I'm sure there are people like a, a a whole contingent of people that um, it's not right. Whole group of people that are <laughs> sure that Capaldi was like the best that it was their doctor you yeah know? I um I really for for Capaldi's sake and I know like he he was literally like back in the pen and paper days he was like the the president of his local fan club for Doctor Who and 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. he he loves this character so dearly. So just for his sake in particular, I, I hope it's at least an amicable ending that he's getting that he's not getting straight up pushed out. That maybe there's some closure for him. I, I just I'd hate it for him that he loves this character so much and he got to play him and then it's going to end sour. Yeah, that just that breaks my heart a little bit. Yeah, it does me too. And you know, I just he's a fantastic actor. I don't think they've given him nearly enough to play with. Uh, and I I lay the blame on Stephen Moffat. I've liked Stephen Moffat in the past, but you know. Recently, last couple of years, he hasn't. He just hasn't been turning out as good as work on Doctor Who, and um, you know, I, 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 it's not unprecedented that a new showrunner, which they're getting Chris Chibnall coming in on next year mm-hmm. or on the next season at the very least, it's not unprecedented that a new showrunner wouldn't want a new Doctor, wholly new Doctor no, to play fine. with. It's fine. Um, I am sad to see Peter Capaldi go because I think he's phenomenal. Anyway, we're gonna get to get to DC stuff because you know. That's what we're. We should we finally actually get to DC <laughs> stuff. Yeah, right. I, I just um, ah, wish wish Capaldi well. I do. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed him. I won't lie. Kind of want to hug him right now. Mm-hmm. But you know what this means, though. He can he can show up as something in the DCEU. <laughs> Go ahead, people. Do your uh, do your fan casting of Capaldi as it as it pertains to the DCEU. Yeah, yeah. Personally, I'd go with Brainiac. Ooh. That is a weird choice, and I would kind of be down for that. I think those, I think those <laughs> long eyes could uh, could play it, man. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. I'd have to think about it. Anyway, uh, to, starting off with Gotham, um, heroic Hollywood got to ask Cameron Monaghan where his inspiration for the, his version of the Joker comes from. He said there was never a moment where I was intentionally cribbing from another actor. More so, I grew up watching other actors design the character of the Joker to me, and obviously the part was playing was sorry was paying tribute to the Joker, and I and so I wanted to know to you know perform at the best of my abilities in a way that it seemed to be paying homage to the character. We get to do a lot of stuff with him that has never really been done with a live action version of the Joker before, so we were able to have some real fun with him this time around. If anyone was to inspire my performance, it would be Mark Hamill's animated joker which i think i might have mentioned to you before but his portrayal his portrayal was the only one that i felt comfortable at all taking anything from and that's because there was going to be such a difference in translating from animated to live action the majority of my inspiration when possible came from the comic books themselves that is nice to hear it's amazing to hear personally i think he's intentionally or unintentionally doing a lot of ledger though right i think it's just in that that growl I don't think it's so much in the performance. I think the performance actually reeks more of Hamill, but I, it's the growl yeah, of the voice maybe. a little bit. And it's not like a growl. It's That growl was in Hamill's uh, toolbox, too. He just didn't pull out as much. Mm-hmm. He was he was way more dynamic. Um, I mean that in like the sound term. like He he went up and down on volume a lot more. Mm-hmm. And and Monaghan does the up and down on volume, I think. that That's where he comes, uh, part of what he's pulling from Hamill. But... Ledger, I didn't feel like, didn't feel like he he peaked and valleyed as much with his actual volume, mm-hmm. but he did have that growl and he had a wonderful growl. Yeah, I I'm still in love with Jerome. Oh God, yeah, I am. Now uh, one of my deep regrets about uh, we record the news on Monday nights, and one of my deep regrets mm-hmm. is that I didn't get to watch the the Gotham tonight. What they're calling the winter finale? Yeah, the winter finale. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you see the white band trailer that they did? No, I saw a trailer. I don't know if I saw anything. I mean, it was just kind of like a trailer leading, like from 
everything from the beginning of Jerome to now, and then like a little bit of this episode that came out tonight. Oh yeah, no, no, I did see that, and it's uh, it's exciting. It is. Yeah, they even did a uh, a thing with uh, David Mazus, or he uh, reacted to it. That's and. It was kind of fun for a minute, and then I started getting the distinct impression that he was just playing it, like, <laughs> playing it up, like, ooh, I'm so excited, like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm like, you read the script, jackass. And he, like, <laughs> mentions, like, I mean, like, I didn't know they were going to do this, but I read the script, and I was just like, oh, okay, well, I don't know. Yeah. I, I saw that and thought, <laughs> eh. <laughs> but again, like, this is the problem is, uh, this is our personal problem, sorry. But we record on Monday nights, obviously Gotham uh, airs on Monday nights. So I'm sitting here looking through all these headlines, about that kind of thing um and yeah sure enough like i want to click on it but i'm like ah oh, fuck it i just like well let's you know let's get the news done get the news recorded and then uh if i have any time left before you know my my brain passes me out for a little while mm-hmm. i'll try to sneak in this this freaking uh drone conclusion <laughs> right yeah well mm. so one of the one of the trials and tribulations of uh of our timing right all right, uh, moving on to Supergirl. Uh, Entertainment Weekly has learned that this year's Valentine episode of Supergirl will focus heavily on Alex and Maggie. Alex will be wanting to spend the day with her girlfriend for the first time, but Maggie isn't a big fan of the holiday at all, which will lead to the couple's first big throwdown. I thought last week was the couple's first big... Uh, never mind. Yeah. Maggie will make it up to her by recreating a special evening. According to the picture that's been released, it's special enough for a corsage. So I'm guessing prom? I don't know. I'm um, I'm wondering though, like when this, they kind of pitched it as like the first big hoopla, yeah, which is fine. And and I can even make sense of like the last week, for instance, where um, you know, Alex comes back and says like I can't do this anymore. Um, and then immediately comes back and says oh, I shouldn't have done that. I want to do this more. <laughs> and Maggie gives her the like you you only get one speech, but forgives her essentially, or you know they all move on. That to me, that's not a throwdown. Okay. That's not a throwdown. To me, that's not. Like, a throwdown is like you both think you're right and you're willing to fight for it. Okay. And then, uh, you know, a throwdown in a relationship that ends up working, um, both people have to come to terms on stuff. Right. Like, me, personally, I would I would consider a throwdown something like, you know, do we watch American Pickers or America's Next Top Model? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't even like American Pickers. But you got to stand for something. <laughs> or you'll fall for anything. Right. <laughs> no, it, to me, it's an honest what? hallmark of a relationship. Like if if uh, if you don't get in an argument every now and then, and I I mean uh-huh. the light version of an argument. I don't mean, or, or what do they call it? An active discussion. If if you're not in an active discussion oh. every now and then, is that what we're calling? Yeah, it? yeah, that's, what, uh, that's what some some therapists call it. Oh God, it's a perfectly useful term. It takes the the um, stigma off the word argument and puts it into a different context. These things are useful when you actually get into something like that. Uh, so um, no, I want to call it what it is. It's a bitch fest. <laughs> but we're both bitching at each other. I, I honestly have the opinion that like if you're not sorry, I'm sidetracking. But if if every now and then you don't have an active discussion, <laughs> it's it's possible that both sides of the relationship aren't standing up for one another. Okay. So in this case, relating it back, um, Alex. Pitch is a fit. Maggie doesn't stand up for herself. Alex reverses direction entirely. Maggie decides, uh, this has all been kind of weird. I'm going to forgive it this time. Yeah. But you got to not be weird anymore. I can deal with that. Okay. <laughs> Whatever, man. Way too much explanation for one for one word there. Under Gorilla City and The Flash, uh, 
Andrew Helbing told IGN what to expect out of the upcoming Gorilla City episodes of The Flash. He said, they're very big episodes. Ever since last season, we sent him to Earth 2, and we'll find out where he ended up in Gorilla City and what his role is within the construct of Gorilla City and all the gorillas. I'm guessing ruling them. But what I can tell you is they're very big episodes. We're swinging for the fences again. There are some sequences that are incredibly emotional and just straight-up epic, epic, epic. I mean, I can't believe we're allowed to do it on television. Are we doing gorilla sex? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It honestly, to me, is one of the coolest things I've been a part of. Uh, He also talked about the overall trajectory of the show, saying because Barry's so focused on saving Iris and saving the team, I think, as any person would, they'll do whatever it takes to save the person they love and the rest of it be damned. But, of course, it is the Flash, and so there will be consequences that will play out. I don't want to get into the specifics, but, yeah, Barry's going to continue to try to change the future in many different instances. And as he does, he is going to get more and more information that will eventually, hopefully, help him prevent Iris from being killed by Savitar. You know, I feel like he threw in hopefully really quickly. Like, he didn't... Like, he was like, well, that will eventually help him prevent Iris. Wait, no, eventually, hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully. I mean, suspension. Suspension of... I, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. It could be crazy. Asked, it could be crazy, y'all. Asked specifically, asked specifically about the five months remaining in the quest to save Iris. He said, I mean, it's definitely going to play out throughout most of the rest of the season, but we're still going to make some pit stops here and there. Tell some other stories, but saving Iris and changing the future is always going to be on the forefront of everyone's minds. That's nice, buddy. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, EW managed to get a little information from Robbie and Mel about his future through the Flash. He said, I was there last week. I can tell you that my scenes are with Grant Gustin and Danielle Panabaker, and I may or may not be alive. <laughs> the fuck does that mean, oh. though, right? All right. I mean, all right. He's Is got it a the shared vision. With, yeah, I don't know. It Well, it, wouldn't, it, oh, shit. wouldn't it be with Cisco then? No, well, I mean, if it was a vibe kind of situation, I guess. You know what would be cool? And I'm just talking here. I await. What if this is their take on the Black Lanterns? Like we do like Robbie and Mel. <laughs> he's dead. He's talking to Grant and Danielle, right? We got Snart over on Legends talking to to uh, to Mick, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, for the hell of it, why don't we say, you know, uh, Pee Wee Herman over on Gotham talking to, uh, <laughs> to yeah, Penguin. Yeah. I know it's Clayface. I know it's really Clayface, but what if some of it wasn't? But thematically, don't we have something here? What a, Probably, yeah. I'm moving on. <laughs> I, I've been I've been pitching like, come on, man, you could do a Black Lantern situation. I'm just kidding, guys. I, I know now. that. Yeah. One of the reasons I've been pitching it though is because you could do the crossover early in the season where it's very Halloween oriented. You could. I don't. Th- you know what? You know what? Actually, I just I've uh, I think I've just thought my way through this though. They refuse to kind of kill off characters. Mm-hmm. We don't have enough dead people. I know. To do a real like. I mean, on Arrow, who's 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 really died? Laurel. Laurel died. Yeah, but can we make like a Black Lantern core out of like the three people they've managed to kill off and not revive? Why the hell not? They made a Legion out of Do- a Legion of Doom out of like, out three, of, like assholes. three assholes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Three very here, powerful man. assholes. I mean, at least. Well, yeah, three pretty powerful assholes. But, but like, if you, you did know. a Black Lantern corp on uh, on Arrow, it'd be like, what what would it be like? Laurel and. That cop Roy killed. Right. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about that cat, but thank you for bringing that up. What do we do? Oh, man. Uh, well, I mean, Shadow. 
Shadow. Shadow would be great. You can do Shadow. Great for it. You can do Shadow. You can do Shadow. You can do, uh, uh, let's uh, see. The, the uh, preacher guy that made himself a torpedo. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah I remember that guy. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, everybody see, uh, in, uh, everybody in China. Oh, yeah. Everybody in China. Oh, and, uh, Eddie. Oh, Eddie. Eddie'd be a good, Eddie'd be a good Eddie addition. Thawne. Yeah. You know, uh, Turtle. Roy's Wait, livelihood. Turtle. Roy's livelihood, yeah. <laughs> um, and Turtle. Yes, we have a fine Dead Lantern Corps. Yeah, uh, Mark Maron's brother, whatever the hell his name was, I forgot. Not Mark Maron, <laughs> shit. Uh, Weather Wizard's what? brother. Oh right, right. Mark Martin, sorry. <laughs> Guess which podcast I've been listening to. Uh, uh tell me. <laughs> what the fuck? Don't you remember? Yeah, I'm just kidding. Nah, nah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Phil Klemmer. Uh, was talking about the Legion of Doom with TV line. He was asked, how soon will we learn the Legion of Doom's precise need for the for the Spear of Destiny? Clemmer says, very soon, we have these three guys who could not be alone, or who could be alone, not just the sole bad guys of a series, but the lead of a series. So episode 10, airing January 31st, is told from their point of view. We've had them be evil and do evil things, but we haven't really gotten under the skin of why they're doing it. I thought they just enjoyed it. And we haven't gotten to the fact because that evil. they're not exactly, right? We haven't gotten to the fact that they're not exactly standing so shoulder to shoulder. That's one of the problems with creating a, an alliance of villains. There is no honor among these guys. Uh, Guggenheim on Legends says, uh, and George Lucas, he says... Uh, to comic book resources, how the likes of a young George Lucas made his way to the last episode of Legends of Tomorrow. He said, you know, originally it started out with where we were going to time displace Rip, and that came out of a variety of different things, including knowing that Arthur does a really great American accent, and we originally had the idea that he was a video store clerk back in the 80s, and we changed that to the 60s, and one of the writers had the idea that, well, if he's in the 1960s, maybe he's a film student, and another writer said the or had the idea that well he could be a film student with George Lucas. Fundamentally, the way we operate on Legends is we always love to go to fun time periods and meet people, like we met Albert Einstein earlier. That's always fun. But what really made the episode come together for us was the realization that maybe George had an effect on Nate and Ray. Maybe by making Star Wars, that is what inspired Ray to become an engineer, and by say by making Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's what inspired Nate to become an historian. Once we hit upon how it affected two of our characters, the character of George Lucas became worthwhile. It wasn't just a gimmick. It was just, I mean, it still was, guys. It wasn't just a little cameo. <laughs> it was, it became, it was gimmicky. It became this major plot point of what, what if George Lucas never made Star Wars? What if he never made Raiders of the Lost Ark? What if his, how would that what have if changed his beard lives? never became real? Right. What, what, what if, how would that have changed the lives of Nate and Ray? That to us became the core nucleus of the episode. And the reason to do the episode. No, the reason to do the episode, and what if he never made Star Wars or Raiders of the Lost Ark, is if we actually come back into 2016 and see what the world would look like if he had never made those films. Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark never inspiring two of the characters to become, you know, big nerds who did great things. That's not really, I mean, shit, man. That's, it was gimmicky. It, was, it just was. Don't pretend that you are not doing what you're doing. It was, um... Jeez. It was. This was not about what if George Lucas stopped, didn't do this. This was about you know what if they lost their powers in a stupid way, and we could throw in a lot of stupid Star Wars references. <laughs> it was definitely designed a uh, cer certain way. Yeah, 
Anyway, Entertainment Weekly asked Phil Klemmer about Sarah Lance's storyline for the back half of Legends of Tomorrow and where her character is heading. After being an assassin turned responsible Time Master, he said, That really is her season-long struggle. We find her thirsting for vengeance, wanting to kill Dark, and then she's told she can't do that without screwing up the timeline. There's no way of reconciling. Both Dark and Laurel can't live, according to Sarah. So for her, it really is a question of, is she going to be the assassin who kills him and gets to go home without... Uh, gets to go home to having a sister, or is she the responsible Time Master who does what Rip would want her to do? We haven't written the season finale, so we don't know what she's going to do. Well, that's good. <laughs> she was also asked whether she would find it's a out... disheartening, in it? Right? She also, she was also asked whether... Uh, or he was also asked whether she would find out that some version of Laurel has returned and said that they have not really figured out a check-in. <sighs> All right. All right. To, <clears throat> to me, that at least means mm-hmm. that they haven't arbitrarily written one in. <laughs> <clears throat> That's fair, I guess. I mean, eh, it's better than like... It's, I mean, it's it's shitty that we have to look at it that way, but yeah, I guess... That that's better than saying like, oh, we're definitely gonna do that. In a way, like, oh, we're definitely gonna make that happen is scarier than ah, we haven't figured out how that works yet. Uh, yeah, I mean, arbitrarily going like, hey, you know, it'd be fun a Star Wars reference. <laughs> I, I know. Anyway. I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> Mark Guggenheim spoke to EW about upcoming cameos in Legends of Tomorrow, saying, "We just yesterday made an offer to an actor to reprise their role from one of the other shows in the season finale of Legends." Oh, and in the penultimate episode, we're going to have, I can't be specific about this, but it's one of the most fun things I think we've ever done on the show. A character from one of the other shows on Legends in a way that you've never seen before. You may never see again, but will, I think, just send fans into squeals of joy. We'll less see ambiguously, about that. Yeah, less ambiguously, he stated that we're, go- we're going to see be seeing the Black Flash on Legends. He also mentioned that Lily Stein will be showing up again soon. No word, though, on the mysterious cameos toward the end of the season. You know, and I also heard that they were going to bring Black Flash and all the other shows, too. Yep, yep. A little bit of that happening. Yeah. Squeals of joy. I just... Squeals of joy is a big term. Yeah. I can't think of a singular character from any of these shows that would send me into squeals of joy. You know what? If let no, you know what? If it was, uh, if it was Tyler Hecklin, I knew you were going to say Tyler Hecklin. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. That was the only one I could think of too. That really is. But only if he, only if he was standing with Batman. Mm -mm. No. If you stand with Batman, we'd have that whole underwear situation from last season, from the last episode that I was talking about. No, I, mm. It's just that Squills of Joy is such a such a long shot. It's it's yeah. I, I want it to be right. I, I, I want it to be true. I alright, I'm gonna i I'll I'll say it now. If I'm if I'm wrong about this, <laughs> I will absolutely admit with no reservations that I squilled with joy. Oh, absolutely. Like, neither one of us has ever been prone to uh being anything less than uh forthcoming about how much we sob and or squeal during any given event. There's been lots of tittering, and we've documented it all. Also, I'm perfectly happy to be wrong. Mm-hmm, me too. Um, especially in cases where, like, yeah, you know, the, the, the beauty of being a, being a cynic is when you're wrong, it's a good thing. So, in that sense, yeah. I've always been happy to be to be wrong. And, um... <laughs> right. Oh, man. I, uh, I don't know, the squeals of joy. We'll see. 
Fingers yeah. crossed, man. Fingers yeah. crossed. Reading for you. Fingers crossed. Absolutely reading for you. Yeah. I have all appendages possible crossed. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, EP Phil Klimmer talked to comicbook.com about what exactly he can tell, how crazy it's going to get over the Legends of Tomorrow set. He said, usually it comes in the writer's room when you're breaking a story and it involves 60s filmmakers and Hollywood icons and George Lucas. Well, he's hung up. <laughs> So usually it comes when you're forced to call Warner Brothers legal counsel and say, are we allowed to do this? That's when you're like, are we going, are we doing something totally crazy or have we found our level? He added, when everybody's committed to doing the same kind of crazy, it sort of makes sense. Only sort of? (laughs) And that it's just like a couple of degrees crazier with every episode. And by the time you get to nine, you don't realize that the pot is boiling over. He was, of course, talking about the frog in boiling water analogy there. But, uh, yeah, I, I feel like he's got a couple of, I don't know, maybe not, but it feels like he's got a couple of mixed metaphors. But uh, <laughs> Oh, you interview long enough, you're going to mix a metaphor, too. I'll even give him that. But um, Right. Oh. You know, I'd like to, uh, for just for season three, just to see how it feels, I'd like to maybe replace uh, Phil Klimmer with, um, as showrunner, as an EP, you know, with, like, uh, a rock. And <laughs> just, just see what happens. Let's see if anything's different. And then next season, we just change that up with the Guggenheim. Right. (laughs) Uh, So Legends has been building up the relationship between Mick and the team versus his past with a now-dead snart. Dominic Purcell chimed in with EW to say, I don't think Mick is a good guy, and there's a lot of history there. Mick loves cold. What do you think? You think, like, aside from snart making out with uh, Sarah, not even making out, just kissing her that time, you think there's like room for those two guys to be like uh you know a couple? Nah, I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of chatter and hubbub on the interwebs about. I, it. I know, I'm I'm sure, and it's not like I have anything against it. I just don't see it. I saw them more as brothers to personally. Yeah, it's but. fraternal to me. I, I don't see yeah. um I don't see it being romantic. Yeah, that's what I'd say too. Again, it's not a it's not a problem not a problem of me having a problem with uh any of that it's just those two aren't it's not how they've portrayed their relationship so far now that being said um i did the same thing over on gotham where i was like ah they didn't it's just like that's not how they've pitched this so far and they went ahead and did that and you know it was it was one-sided with um Mm -hmm. with penguin but you never know and still more of a more of an emotion than an actual like preference gender wise yeah, and the part of the thing is like, all right, Snart's gone. So from their from Snart's angle, they can't approach it romantically. And from Mick's angle, it just it's that was a brother in arms that he's lost. This is more like um, to me, this feels a lot more like you know holding the dog tags of a a guy you lost, uh, you know, a comrade you lost in battle, than it does like someone yeah. you pined over romantically. Yeah. Like I said, I just I've seen a lot of stuff online. Just wanted to get your take on it. That's where I stood on it as well. Uh, you know, didn't want to bring that up just to be like, oh, let's be saucy and talk about. No, I mean, I just just a lot of people are really rooting for that apparently, and I'm not necessarily one of them. It it didn't just it didn't it didn't feel like that's where they've been going with it so far. It would seem almost incestual, which would mean that they should be on Gotham. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you've not been watching Gotham. There's precedent for that that, that bit right. of shade he just threw there. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was sh- it was shade for for sure, mm-hmm. man. Uh, Collider sat down with Matt Letcher to talk about the 
Reverse Flash in the Legion of Doom over on Legends. They talked, or say they asked about the dynamic and whether each per- member of a, such a team would each think that they were the one really in charge. He said, possibly. I won't speak for Neil or John, but at the end of the day, they do understand that Eobard is the man and the man with the plan, and not just with the plan, but with the knowledge of the Spear of Destiny, how it works, and how we're going to reclaim it. They each have their own need for this particular item that's different from everybody else's, but they clearly recognize that Eobard is the one with the plan to put it all together. All right. And uh, Guggenheim up on Arrow. Yeah, right. I mean, they don't have many episodes left in this season, so they better get it together (laughs) quick. Bring it in, guys. Bring it Uh, in. Mark Guggenheim talked to Entertainment Weekly about all things Arrow. Of the new character, Tina Boland, the one who has the canary cry and the fan speculation, he said, it's funny, I don't want to tease too much about her. There's a lot of stuff that's out on the internet in terms of casting breakdowns, which I hate talking about because a lot of the casting breakdowns we release are false because we know how they leak. Touche. So, right there, in case anyone wants to get mad at us for saying so, Guggenheim just admitted he's a liar. (laughs) Yeah. He also talked about Diggle's storyline, saying that coming into the second half of the season, we felt a very strong impulse. Ooh, impulse? (laughs) Is that a clue? (laughs) Bring it back, man. Bring it back. We we felt a very strong impulse to basically bring the whole General Walker storyline from the beginning of the year to a conclusion. There's a reason why we returned Diggle to prison, and it's all set up that will be a climactic episode. We've climactic? We've dedicated <laughs> basically a whole episode to resolving the General Walker General Walker storyline. What's nice about the episode, that's episode 12, is that it ties into Oliver's Russia storyline, it ties into Felicity's storyline, and it even echoes back to the Diggle storyline with his brother last season. So a lot of threads are getting tied together, and some threads get tied up in, the, in that 12th episode. He was also asked about whether Oliver will be able to help Felicity with her recent forays in the dark or whether she will push people away. He said, I don't think she's really pushing everyone away, but she's definitely on her own path. The best answer to the question is, is neither one or the other fully. Oliver for sure will be trying to not help her, but give her some guidance. In episode 12, both Diggle and Felicity, for different reasons, are flirting with some darkness in their lives. Oliver basically, in this really great moment, tells both Felicity and Diggle, look, I'm basically a dark dude, I do bad things, but that ship has sailed with me. The whole reason I am aligned with you guys is because you guys are fundamentally just better people. You guys are more moral than I am. Part of the fun of that episode is seeing how that advice to both Diggle and Felicity operates on them. It's not necessarily going to operate on on them in the same way. He finished up talking about Susan Williams' investigation of Oliver's Russian past, saying there's going to be a very cool and awesome payoff to Susan's investigation of Oliver. That payoff is going to come sooner than you think. In other words, it's going to come sooner than the season finale. That's not what I was thinking at all. Hmm. What were you thinking? Any day now. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, that was my thought. I was like, meh, who knows when that'll show up any day now. Any minute. I'm just going to turn my head. 
Nope. Uh, Guggenheim also talked with Access Hollywood about Felicity's budding dark side. He said, we're not turning her into a dark brooding vigilante. We're doing it in a way that honors who the character is and honors the things that people like about the character. But yeah, we're going to have Felicity flirt with a darker storyline than we've typically done with her. We're already sort of written scenes uh, where we haven't shot them yet. Separate scenes with Oliver Diggle and Curtis specifically that they're all trying to sort of reach her in their own way because they all really care about her. Uh, Wendy Miracle had a lot to say to E! News about what's coming up on Arrow. She talked about Felicity's journey, saying Malone's death is going to deepen her understanding of what he went through, and it's also going to deepen her as a character, which was honestly the primary goal of telling the story. We always are looking for ways to give her more story and more autonomy, and this is a way to do it. She's trying to have an outside life in some ways in Season 5, independent of the team, and we're going to end her i think in a very interesting place i don't want her want them to end her hmm. and detective malone's death is really the kickoff of that journey for the back half of the season for her she also talked about how prometheus will affect oliver we wanted the season for oliver to take on a villain that she bleh, that he had never encountered before and what we like about prometheus was understanding that he too lost his father he is determined to make the man who took his father's life pay we wanted someone to be as close in his backstory to Oliver as we could as we could create. She added that there are a couple more surprises in store, and that Prometheus is Oliver's true dark mirror about what to expect for their showdown. She said, "For us, is a different way of fighting. It's not going to come down to him punching or killing Prometheus necessarily. What it is going to come down to is a very psychological need for Oliver to accept the last five years and everything he's done, good or bad." Finally, she talked about Laurel's return, saying, I feel that we sort of hinted in the promo, not necessarily that it's Black Siren, but we hinted that, as usual, with what we do on the show, as we bring people back and we don't bring them back, is always a surprise. I wonder, though, if... Does that mean... Does her statements mean that Prometheus is the son of that guy that like they, like they hinted at, that like they said? That they thought they... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they're just it? trying to, like, throw some red herrings at us so we don't get bored with the fact that they've already pretty much told us who it, we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. possible i'm still kind of having fun with the theory that maybe it's just another oliver like literally another mm-hmm. oliver yeah um, and then something about the way they've been pitching it this week where where you know as, as you're describing it how much mm-hmm. felicity stuff are you hearing about like the darker felicity and like some part wouldn't it be kind of fun if it was another like a an alternate felicity <laughs> that'd be weird man that'd be kind of fun though it'd be a lot that, of fun might be about... they keep talking about this darker place she's gonna go to and and to be fair, think about her life, where it is right now. That she probably would have had a, a, a much more, I don't know, minimally a much more pleasant life before Stephen Amell's Oliver Queen entered her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I it somewhat has, feel it has brought darkness to her. You know, I somewhat feel that uh, the Felicity, as much as they've talked about Felicity getting darker, I somewhat feel that it's going to be like almost a non-issue over the course of the series mm-hmm. or the season. I guess I should say. I don't know why I'm turning British, but whatever. (laughs) Too much damn Doctor Who. Right. (laughs) Mark Guggenheim teased via Twitter that... That doesn't sound right. Twitter? That... Tweeter. That next week's Arrow features the fastest... Yeah. Next week's Arrow features the fastest crossover with Flash we've ever done. He also released a picture of the Flash sneaking into the office of CCPD Chief David Singh. How this happens in an Arrow episode remains to be seen. That's fun. They should do more of that stuff. It is a it, it's a cute thing though, right? It's a it's a little mm-hmm. side bit, nothing, nothing really to it. Just oh yeah, by the way, the flash helped with this. 
mm-hmm. we're all still in the same universe, and it cost us about half a second. Right. <laughs> Three days of shooting, though. Three days of shooting, Seriously. but half a second of screen time. <laughs> uh, Guggenheim talked to comicbook.com about the essence, of, uh, essence, absence of Artemis in the show. He said, <laughs> uh, on Arrow, he said, you know, it's... It has sort of played out like we haven't seen The Last of Artemis, but at the same time, there's not a lot for us as writers or the characters to do with the fact that Artemis betrayed them. It happened. It's sort of over. And they've got some other bigger problems that are coming their way. You haven't seen The Last of Artemis, but in the short term, short term we've got some other fish to fry. He also talked specifically about how the Artemis reveal affects her unfortunate sparring partner, Curtis, saying it actually spoke to her storyline it also speaks to Curtis's storyline, and you'll start to see this more in the mid-season premiere. If you've been watching the first nine episodes, he does have a tendency to get his ass kicked, as we kind of promised. As far as I'm concerned, turning Curtis Holt into a superhero is probably the biggest turn we've ever done on the show, even more so than turning Laurel into the Black Canary. To my way of thinking, the only way you really earn that is if you show how difficult it is, and that means that Curtis ends up getting his ass kicked quite a bit. I think in episode 10, the mid-season premiere, he kind of hits rock bottom as far as his self-esteem is concerned, especially in light of the ultimatum that Paul gave him, starting with episode 10, is his turn, I think, really towards more of the Mr. Terrific that we know from the comics. So I think we've already hit that, haven't we? We've already seen that. Yeah. Yeah, we we, we saw the, the first seeds of darkness come out of him. Mm-hmm. And apparently we haven't seen the last of the Haven Rock storyline on Arrow, according to Guggenheim. He was asked about the Haven Rock story, and particularly how rare it was on a show like Arrow for Rory to forgive Felicity so quickly. He said, that's exactly right, and that's exactly why we didn't do that. In fact, when we were in the room, I was very much like, God, the last thing I want to do is... He then trailed off, but eventually continued, it's a story we felt we owed off of the end of last year, and particularly once one of the writers had pitched the idea that Rory was from Haven Rock and that his rags had protected him, and that seemed really interesting to us. Once we hit upon that, we definitely realized that we were headed towards some sort of revelation between Felicity and Rory, and I was very much like, how do we make this interesting without relying on what has come and become a trope of character flying off the handle and screaming at a person? What was great was that Joe's performance really sold what was a tricky acting beat of striking that balance of more disappointment than rage. Obviously, we wrote in that direction, but it really took Joe and his performance, and I give Emily props as well. It required both actors to really sell the needle we were trying to thread. He went on to say, by the way, we haven't seen the end of that story. I mean, obviously we've gotten the secret out and Rory and Felicity have aired their feelings about it, but we're actually going to revisit it in episode 12. Wow, episode 12 just really, oh my gosh. Episode 12 draws draws together a lot of threads from the first 11 episodes of the season. Well, one would think. And it ties off some of them, and it just connects different things that weren't previously connected. But one of those threads is going to be this Ravenhawk situation. And I think hopefully, if we've done our job correctly, just the fact that we're revisiting Havenrock and then the way we do it with respect to Felicity and Rory will be surprising. <coughs> Not sure what he means with that. But Me I'm kind of curious. I, I admit, though, that I, I think we talked about this before when we were uh, mm-hmm. talking about the, the fall finale. Mm-hmm. Or so It was a few episodes before that. Anyway. So the confrontation between Rory and Felicity, we thought, was refreshing, if, yeah. if I recall. Um, it was nice that it just it didn't get all uh, all diggle and some combination of, of self-hatred and, and misplacement of blame on others. And mm-hmm. um, It was. It was a, a different tact than Arrow normally takes. I was yeah. kind of refreshed to, to hear that um, he was aware of that, I guess. Yeah, me too. 
but I have no idea what the hell they're talking about with like wrapping up wrapping up their story in a surprising way. I, I don't know what to, yeah. I don't even know how to speculate about that. Well, if you did, it wouldn't be surprising, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you make a fair point, but go on. <laughs> Katrina Law, who plays Nissa on Arrow, had a lot to say about what she would like to do with her character coming up. She prefaced herself with comicbook.com by saying, I'm not allowed to tell you anything under the threat of death from Mark Guggenheim. When I found out they were casting Talia, I emailed Mark and I was like, please, please let us have a sister showdown because my inner nerd was just kind of exploding because of this. anything like the comics. I know that my character basically kills Talia 50 times and just keeps dumping into the Lazarus pit so she can keep bringing her back and get her <laughs> onto her evil ways. I don't think that's going to happen in Arrow, the television series, but one can always hope. But if not, if not a contentious relationship, then maybe one where they're like standing back to back shooting arrows. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Don't you make she, a doomsday though if you keep doing that to somebody? Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, or an, just an insane old man right. who tries to kill Batman. You have to just, you have to actually throw him into the hearts of sons and shit. You can't just beat the crap out of him over again. Right. She continued saying, I think a Legends of Tomorrow appearance would be, should be mandatory. That's what I'm thinking because we need Sarah and Nissa. We need the Nissa Sarah backstory of how they met on Lian Yu and how she trained her and basically how she found her on the streets and what the introduction to Rachel Ghoul was like and eventually how they fell in love. I think people want to see that. I want to see that. I don't want to see that. But hopefully one day, again, I have no idea, but fingers crossed. That's the wish list. Yeah, personally, I don't want to see that. I don't necessarily. I, I would like some on-screen time between the two. And I love her enthusiasm, but... I, yeah! Unless you can work that into what they're doing this season, I'm just kind of... That's what they call Moxie. Yeah. <laughs> you got Moxie, kid, but nobody cares. But we have arcs, and they're more important. Sorry. Right. Uh, Mark Guggenheim, again, revealed the title of episode 517 of Arrow. It will be Kapot, which is Russian for cowl or hood. I don't I, let the speculation begin. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't even know where to start with it exactly, but it it seems meaningful. Right. Uh, powerless. There is uh, an exclusive promo. Wait, you're telling me Arrow finished? Yeah, Arrow finally is over Oof. for a second. Uh, we'll get back to it in a second. Uh, of course we will. IGN got an exclusive <laughs> exclusive on a new Powerless promo that features the voice of Adam West. It isn't any really new footage or anything, but it does have West introduce the team and the team's pur purpose. Uh, so, so there's also there's a nice, a nice call back to some iconic comic book art, but you know, um, here's something that was fun. Alan Tudyk's character, Van Wayne is from the comics. I did see that. He had a single appearance in Batman 148, uh, published back in 62, um, June of 1962. And in the book, he comes in, he sees that, uh, he finds Batman and Robin's costumes in the Wayne laundry. And, uh, he's told that, uh, I think Alfred tells him, you know, like, oh, it's for a costume party. Right. So he goes as, as, uh, as, uh, he wants to, enter, uh, he wants to impress Bruce, you know. So he goes as Robin the Boy Wonder and has this, like, con man dress up as Batman for this, uh, this party. And, of course, the con man kidnaps him. They have to save him. And, but yeah, I thought that was cool that they dug back that deep for the I, singular was, appearance of Van Wayne. I was deeply <clears> impressed <throat> that um he was in any way source. Right. Also, it was an early, early warning about the dangers of Craigslist. <laughs> it was. Can we just start referring to the litany of comic books that are that are out there uh, from that were published by DC as the source wall? <laughs> I think a few people at least would appreciate that. Yeah. 
Uh, I don't know. I've never seen that before. Is it part of the source wall? Yeah. Okay. I'm looking at you, Squadcast. You guys are usually the ones that pick up on that stuff. Right. <laughs> Pat us on the head. Tell us we're good boys. Hey, Squadcast, can you bounce that against the source wall? See if it sticks. <laughs> Very much appreciate. So, uh, so Arrow took a real dip in the ratings in its premiere. It tied its all-time low in its demo, mm. and had its second worst showing in ratings so far. You know what this is? You'd never. Never say that you've renewed all the shows. No one cares. <laughs> no one's trying anymore now. They're like, oh, I'll be renewed. I, I'm not even sure what. I, I don't know. I don't know what effect happened. I, I really don't. Now, to be fair, the other demo dip was against Game 7 of the World Series. And uh, this week's lack of rating had to compete with Trump's first TV interview. That's, uh, I mean, all right. With Arrow, I get it. <clears throat> I, I understand where that happened with Arrow, but uh, the others... Yeah, the Flash and Legends both suffered from lower ratings than average. Uh, Flash dipped below the 1.0 mark for the first time ever and lost about 400,000 in ratings. Uh, those were both series lows. Legends dropped a little from the fall finality, but only one demo point. And it uh, didn't find itself hitting series lows. On the bright side of the CW, though, the combination of the shows netted their uh, second time slot another million viewers after replacing No Tomorrow. So it worked. Yeah, no, no. CW came on. Uh, they they move. Wait, I can't remember if they moved or canceled. No, tomorrow. Can't remember. Well, you know, based on the title, I was they canceled. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's one of those shows that. Um, here's where I knew it was in trouble. Uh, my wife was watching it. She's uh, she she was watching and she was just clicking through the series. And a couple times, I walked through and was slightly charmed by the show but really didn't have it in me to finish. Like I had no follow through about it. It wasn't like, Oh man, I've got to go back and watch that show. It was that it was a cute show that I thought was funny, but even I didn't think I was going to go back and watch it. Yeah. And normally when I'm like slightly charmed by a show, it, it, and it, and even I can't go back and, and finish it. It's just screwed. Mm-hmm. Cause you'll watch some shit, man. I will. I will watch some, uh, some, some real shit sometimes. What are those? The Misfits, whatever you watched, that was on the uh, Sci-Fi Channel. Ah, uh, I think it, I think it replayed on Sci-Fi. It was a BBC show though, The Misfits. Okay, yeah, whatever that was. I don't remember what it was, but it was bad. Uh, I've had several bad shows that I watched. Oh wait, well maybe it was Only Human. Oh, that was Almost <laughs> Human. Or, almost no, I'm human. sorry, Being Human. Almost Human was the Being thing on human. Fox with uh, uh, Star Star Trek guy. Carl Urban. Yeah, yeah, Carl Urban. That was that um, was bad too. I didn't watch that. Yeah. I watched like one of the episode and laughed at it and moved on. Yeah, almost human. I tried to watch a few episodes and was like, ah, I can't do this. Um and then it got canceled a few weeks later and thought, yep, and nature takes its course and moves on. Um <laughs> Being Human was a BBC show that I'll stand by. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, well was it by. the BBC show or the sci fi version? The sci fi version there was, can eat a dick. Eat a dick. All right. Well, we have that pull quote somewhere. <laughs> if we ever That's... need to, sorry. <laughs> and they should put that on the uh, on the BBC DVD set. Like this, the American version can eat a dick. <laughs> Jason Goss, DC on screen. Right. <laughs> like the the um, the American version to me is most notable for being that thing mm. where I recognize the guy who played Doomsday in Smallville. Right. I was like, oh, yeah, he's the vampire and that thing that doesn't work. Yeah. Where they tried to stretch a premise, like, way beyond Gumby measures. Like we do when we Americanize <laughs> British television. All right. All right, so uh, YouTuber 
Kyle Roberts of Reckless Abandonment Pictures has put together a stop motion video where he uses Lego Batman to rec- recreate the opening sequence of the beloved Batman the Animated Series. Uh, I thought it was pretty fun. It is. It's 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 cute, man. I mean, it's he put some love into it. It's funny. I didn't need like the minute and a half of like him just badly imitating Batman from the Lego Batman movie, saying lines from the Batman an- uh, Lego movie, you know. Or from the Lego movie. I didn't need that. I didn't catch any of that. I watched till they got up to the rooftop, and then uh, as soon as the music cue ended, I was out. Oh, yeah, there's like a whole end sequence where he's just sitting at the back computer, and he's like, Alfred, I need coffee, blah, blah, blah. I like my coffee black or slightly shades of gray, you know, and then he's like throwing batarangs at a button on the back computer to make coffee or something, and he's like, he after like a million of them, he gets like, he hits it and he goes, first try. He's just doing lines from the from the Lego movie. Yeah, it's bad. Man, I bailed. I bailed before that. So uh, for me, it was just like a cute, like I don't know, Lego. T- like it, it, the first part, he takes himself slightly seriously when he's doing it, which mm-hmm. was fun. Yeah. Uh, so uh, our condolences to voice actor Tim Daly. Oh my lord, man. Mm. He uh, of course voiced Superman in the Superman animated series that uh, you know our uh, superhero Lord and Savior Paul Dini uh, was in charge of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he did. Uh, yeah, he did Superman in the animated series. Unfortunately, didn't come back for Justice League or Justice League Unlimited, but whatever. Hmm. Um, but yeah, he uh, he was at Sundance and he was skiing and he broke both of his legs. He tweeted, "Humans, actually, humans <laughs> broke my right ankle and left knee skiing simultaneously. How's that for talent? I'm all good." Uh, so I I uh, I feel bad for him. I've uh. He's got like six to eight weeks of recovery, so like the producers for Madam Secretary, his new his current project, trying to figure out how to do that. But yeah, it's rough when yeah, somebody's suddenly in casts. This is why people stop people like Jared Leto from climbing from climbing rocks. Yeah, um, and I I I feel, dude, I I've done a fair amount of like snow skiing. I haven't, I never actually managed to break anything, but man, you get damn close a couple times. Yeah, you get damn close, and it happens faster than you think. Like one minute you're just Heading down, next thing you hit like a little a little sheet of ice that looked like snow, and and you think you're barreling toward the woods. Yeah. More than a few times, I thought I was barreling toward the woods. Yeah. Hell, there was more than Even a few s- times that like the guy in front of you falls down, and you just barely get out of his way before like skating over his freaking neck. I didn't know you'd been skiing. Oh yeah, yeah. This thing, uh, thing, uh, my dad did when I was uh, growing up. Well, that's weird. You know, I wouldn't think you the type to take such a risk. No, no, I'm I'm okay with heights if there's ground between me and the bottom of the heights. <laughs> yeah, I also see, hate me, cold, I got... but like if you if you put a couple planks yeah. of wood under me, I can like get my blood pumping and 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 really have fun with it. Yeah, see, like everything I know about you, you, know, you don't like the heights, you don't like the cold, like nothing about skiing seems to have, like. If somebody asks me, like, "Hey, you bet a hundred dollars, you have to bet a hundred dollars, and uh, you have to you know, figure, like, what, what do you think? Does Jason, would Jason, has Jason ever skied or not? I would say absolutely not, and I would have lost. Yeah, but yeah, no, I I was fourteen year old hitting like uh, black diamond trails. You're an enigma. Yeah, I forget. I forget how many gradations there are, but I remember being up at up at Black Diamond Trails, thinking like, "Ah, oh, I finally made it." Those those <laughs> were the particularly windy ones that were very high. Okay, I'm glad you told me because I don't know what Black Diamond means. I I just assumed it meant impressive. <laughs> so I, there there are worse, certainly so so many worse. But like for for what for what I could get to um, in in my time, I haven't been in years. But um, I could tell you know how I could tell you haven't been in years. 
because you know me that time and I haven't fucking gone. No, because you are you're still using the outdated, antiquated, uh, racist term "black diamond" instead of African American diamond. Right. No, and blood diamonds probably a problem too. Right. We should change that. Oh, that's just gross. It's not racist. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> uh, so. African American surreptitious, surreptitiously acquired gem slopes. Now I don't know how to feel about any of this. Is that is that where we ended up with that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I did enjoy the sport. I'm though. sure someone enjoyed the crap that. out of the sport. And um, to whoever it was, those, I want to say three times where it was it was me who fell, and the guy behind me narrowly avoided running over my neck. <laughs> right. Thank you. <laughs> I uh, I still enjoy walking as a result of that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Man, you won't get me on a couple of those things, man. I, I don't even, like, just wearing, uh, you know, if I'm going down a steep hill that has stairs, I get I start getting scared, you know? I, actually, I think I'm going to slip off. It's weird. I, f- I feel you there. Somehow I, uh, I just got comfortable. What You know what fucks me up more? The the going down, no big deal. The going up is a problem because you have those uh, uh, chalets. Not chalets. Uh-huh. God, it's been too damn long. Anyway, the ski lifts or whatever. Um, You get on okay. those things. That's what that's what you get for trying to be fancy. Just say ski lifts, I think chalet is the actual thing you stay in when you're hanging out next to a, uh, a, a ski resort. So I, I wouldn't know because I've never been skiing. The, the damn ski lifts, though, <laughs> where you hop on this freaking contraption attached to a wire, which, which basically it's like a porch swing attached to a goddamn uh-huh. piece of, of of metal that somehow keeps your uh, body suspended over like a hundred yards between you and the snow. And you keep thinking like, well, there's a lot of snow down there packed. Maybe I'll survive. <laughs> that part scared the shit out of me every time. Then I'd get to the top of the mountain uh-huh. of all things and be like, all right, cool. Let's hit this. Woo. Right. I've got it. I can go down gradually at like a 25 degree angle. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah, none of that sounds good to me. All of it sounds so enormously untoward. Really going at like Just, 20 miles an hour down this thing. I don't I don't want to sit in a seat and go up a thing. I don't want to sit in a seat and go down a thing. I don't want to ski down a thing. I would be okay. The one part I'd be really okay with with skiing is hanging out in the cabin and drinking hot cocoa and looking at people ski. That's like the part that I would be like, absolutely. Oh no, that's that's totally what my mom did the entire time. Just chilled, yeah, hot cocoa with the mini marshmallows, watched. Yeah, like dude, like me and your mom would have like a girls' day in, man. Yeah, we'd yeah. be hanging out, drinking cocoa, watching you two idiots hurt hurt each other. Right. He's like, oh, I think that was Jason. Well, I hope not. He just broke his both of his legs and an arm. Are you sure it was Jason? Well, well he was wearing. He was in an all blue outfit. Yeah, it was Jason. With a Superman symbol on the front and a red cape. Right. Yeah, he fell. The cape got wrapped around a tree limb. He definitely fell. Now, he, he, <laughs> and surprisingly, one of the weird pleasures was at the bottom of, of uh, most of the resorts I ever went to. Um, uh-huh. I don't know if resort's the right term. But anyway, giant hill with snow on it. And, and, and any of those places that I went to. <laughs> yeah. You... Because I'm going in there paying like 30 bucks a day, man. I, it, it's just like, can I have the right to slide down your mountain? Thank you, sir. But you, you get to the bottom of said mountain, and there was like... Sounds like the name of your sex tape. <laughs> <laughs> there were hard times. Hard times in college. I had to pay for shit. The, one of the great pleasures, though, of like of, of skiing that I remember, it's not just like the the swooshing down the mountain and all that. And, and, and it was fun to do the tricks, and you'd find like a little hill every now and then where you could like pop up and get a couple seconds of air, and that was that was really thrilling. It was It was a lot of fun. Right. But one of the cool parts was at the bottom of all of these things, especially when you got to the bigger hills and the bigger, uh, you know, attractions, you'd have like 
the giant building at the bottom of the mountain. Or, and it, it would be a combination. <laughs> that you run into. <laughs> that was the fun part. It was like it would be half place where you go rent all your equipment, half uh, right. like kind of diner restaurant-ish kind of area. Yeah. And it was almost like you, you'd, you'd go rent your equipment on one side. You'd hop up the mountain. You'd work up a, you know. A mighty hunger, and then you'd like slide. <laughs> like it was kind of fun to like literally try to slide into the doorway of the actual diner. You'd be like, "Ha ha! I have arrived. I grow hungry. Bring forth the right. meal, for I shall eat." <laughs> Bring forth mead. Bring forth mead and lack of ram. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> and like when I was first starting to do it, like uh, I, I went to this tiny. Uh, we had this tiny mountain in North Alabama. It's Mintone. Um, like right outside of Fort Payne, it was it was a golf course that literally would put up fake snow because we're in Alabama, we can't get this shit. So it would literally put out fake snow, or That's it would hilarious. create its own snow, I guess. So um, it was it was just like a few hundred yards of hill, but at the very bottom of it was precariously placed this tiny shack where you rented your like boots and skis. So yeah. really, the main challenge of skiing at that particular place was to get to the top of the thing. Which on one occasion the the like there are ski like there are ski lifts where you actually get in this little basket and you go up, and then there are these uh, mm-hmm. I don't even know what to call them. It's basically a line with a bunch of bars, and you know you're on you're on skis anyway. So what you do is you grab the bar that's you know sticking out from this giant piece of iron that's strapped mm-hmm. around the entire mountain, and you just you grab the thing and then just like hold on tight, and it just drags you up the mountain. One of my favorite experiences were, uh, was when we were all refunded our money because that thing went down. So we literally had to we, we had to like grab the like we we grabbed the bar and just start like dragging ourselves up the mountain. Like we were literally just just it was it really was very Adam West like crawling up the side of the 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 it was like a forty five degree angle version of Batman sixty six. Yeah. It was it was pretty pathetic. But the fun part was at the bottom of the um I'll call it a mountain. It was a it was a hill covered with fake snow. But at the bottom of it was way too close to the bottom of this thing was the actual like lodge where you rented your equipment. Uh-huh. So you had to get down there and then just you honestly had to like face plant, fall, whatever you could do just to not slam into the building. Like I rem- I literally remember just throwing myself on my side and then still slamming into the building itself because there was nothing else I could do. Right. Oh, fond memories. <laughs> fond me- that was usually when you like tried to butt off too much. Like, there were a couple hills going down, and if you timed right. it right, you could hit like there. Well, I mean, it's obviously one hill, but like there were more exaggerated bumps. Mm-hmm. And if you timed it right, you could try to get the most air out of all those bumps. But what that would am- amount to is, like, you gaining the most acceleration out of all those bumps. And then you couldn't stop when you hit the ground if you did it right. Yeah. 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 It was, um, I was, like, 13 and couldn't conceive of the idea of accidentally killing myself. Just going for it. <laughs> oh, man. Fun times. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I didn't have those. I watched TV. <laughs> I definitely did that when I got back, but yeah, I threw myself down a mountain a few times. Like I was the kid that like would be like, ah, I'm gonna turn off the television. I'm gonna go outside and see what I can get into, you know. And I'd walk outside and uh, and see, you know, there's a Catholic church across the street, and I'd walk over there, you know, go behind the Catholic church, and there's some woods. I'm like, you know what? I'll go into the ca- into the Catholic woods there, and <laughs> yeah. I'd get real close to it and go, you know what? That seems kind of 
naturey. <laughs> feels, and then kind of like you know, walk a little along the edge. I'd like walk along the edge of the forest, you know, and uh, kind of build up my nerve, and then go, you know what? I bet, I bet there's a snake in there. And uh, then, by God, I turn around and I was back in the house watching television again. Yeah. I said, how did I get here? Oh, well. And then years passed, and uh, now I'm doing a podcast about DC. (laughs) (laughs) Never have been in those there woods. You know, the experience Uh, isn't entirely different. It's just (laughs) I would sit around and watch television, and then my dad's like, so um, you want to leave Friday afternoon and go go to North Carolina? Yes, I do. Cool. I I watched the same amount of television I I normally did. (laughs) Yeah, I I, uh, I went up to, uh, I remember I'd go and hang out with Matt Carroll of MCU Cast, and uh, we'd go up to Prattville, because that's where he lived, and uh, we would go walk, you know, and it would be uh, just, not a, not a, it would be a slow, non-heart racing walk, we're just, you know, walking, and, uh, you know, one time I almost fell down a thing, probably would have broken some bones, it was some sort of a ditch, I don't know. <laughs> That was about a all ravine, I, I tell you. <laughs> it was a goddamn gully if I've ever seen one. <laughs> well, like we we started walking in like this ditch, and like the the walls of the ditch kept getting higher. <laughs> we were like, "Well, it's going to be dark, but if we get go back the other way." So like he was like, "We'll just climb up," and uh, so he climbed up, and then I started to climb up. But the little steps that you know that he had gotten on were a little there. Well, they weren't strong anymore. Mm. So I go to climb up and the shit falls and I start to fall and, you know, I was hanging and he was trying to pull. He had his like, he was like holding onto a fence, you know, and trying to help me up. And I thought, I'm never going outside again. (laughs) (laughs) I've learned my lesson. I'm done here. (laughs) I do. I think I remember screaming out, this was a fool's errand. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Maybe that was just in my head. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard, hard to tell these days. Maybe all I yelled was, damn it, Matt Poole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, don't let me go. <laughs> I'll probably sprain an ankle at the very I'll least. I'll die in the seven and a half foot drop. <laughs> <laughs> that will happen gradually across a series of, of rocks. It was more than a seven and a foot, a seven and a half foot drop. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like, I was still like six foot at the time, you know. I was, I had already had my growth spurt. Right. I mean, yeah, it was probably like second story level. You oh, know? okay. It was, All right. It was a little frightening. It was, you know, I still was young enough to have the gumption. I think to we think are I getting to ravine like territory safely. then. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was ravinish. Mm-hmm. What's, Matt's gonna text me and be like, "It was not that big." Valley. <laughs> Matt's gonna like text me, but like, it was totally like two rocks. <laughs> like it was two rocks. He tumbled for about four feet. <laughs> Your feet were on the ground while you were screaming for me to help you pull you. <laughs> I'll never the survive heights, the man, fall. The You're standing. I'll never survive. <laughs> It was like when I used to go swimming, and they put me in the deep end, and I'm like, I can't touch the bottom. And they're like, your feet are on the bottom. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, I'll drown. Yeah. Uh, damn it, Dave. What do you want to do? I'm going to go watch Batman. All right. <laughs> you boring shit. 
I, I had a very anyway. different upbringing in a lot of ways, man. <laughs> my version of the deep end was like, oh, you can't swim? Here. Tossed my ass in. Oh, they tried that. <laughs> I don't... I have no recollection of this, and I don't actually know uh, the people involved are, aren't around to tell me anymore what my disposition was, but apparently I made it to the other side. <laughs> I don't know I if I got out and went, oh, it was fun. Or I got out and went, oh, you can all fuck yourselves. That was terrible. I, you know, I, very, I remember very vividly, you know, I was standing on the edge of the thing going, like, oh, I'm not going to get in there. And then uh, someone pushed me in. Mm. and uh, I was a cell phone that way in high school one time. And then someone decided they had to go and get me because I wasn't coming out. <laughs> I was just like, oh, this is how I go. I'm just sinking to the bottom of this thing. <laughs> Are you bothering to flail? <laughs> like, what were you doing? I think I was still in shock from having been pushed. Oh, okay. At no, at no point, no juncture. It was some asshole kid, you know? At no juncture did I think that, like, oh, I'm going to be pushed into this thing. And uh, I was still pretty, pretty young. I still but, have uh, a tendency to flail. I was only about 25, you know. You'd be surprised. And, You'd uh, be surprised how good a survival <laughs> instinct flailing is. I have no survival instinct. I was just like, oh, well, it's time. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, this is how I go. <laughs> In a deep wash of warm water. Right. What? What's happening? I'm like just sinking going, By you know, in a way it's hand. poetic. This is how In, in a way it's, in a way it's poetic, I, I suppose. I <laughs> Back to the back to the water from whence I came. You know a bad place to get existential? Underwater. <laughs> While you're sinking? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> of course, like I was actually like coming back to the surface, I was floating and my head like all I had to do was like move my head up and I could have breathed and I was just like, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> I was seriously like seven or eight years old, man. <laughs> uh, oh anyway. We should wrap this oh, up. Oh god, yes. <laughs> we are DC on screen. You can find every episode at DC. On are we still DC on screen? For God's sake, I think we just did. I think we just created another uh, offshoot that that went way beyond bat wieners. I don't know, but I, I'm I'm going to do some editing and rearrange it a little bit. I think, but um, <laughs> oh. or maybe not. Blessed be the Bye. listeners. Blessed be the listeners. Uh, you know, we got good comments from some of that post credit stuff last week, so maybe I don't know. Um. We are DC on screen. You can find every episode at dconscreen.com. We are proud members of the Giant Size Team Up Network. GiantSizeTeamUp.com. Proud members of the Batman Podcast Network as well. You can go uh, check. You can go find us on DC on screen, uh, Twitter or Facebook. You know, uh, all of those places where you can talk to us and tell us how we're jackasses or how much you love us. We like the latter a lot more. If you want uh, to maybe win a trade paperback, Blu-ray or DVD, uh, valued at fifteen dollars or less. Uh, give us a, you know, five-star written review or, you know, just, you know, a nice one. We're, you know, I've realized that the Feedly account that we check for all the reviews don't actually tell us how many stars we get. So if, as long as it seems nice in the review. We're going for it. I'll, I'll enter, I'll, I'll throw you in. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What a kindly worded one-star review. Right. I would accept Mm -hmm. it. Anyway. We love you guys. Uh, we will be back with more reviews for uh, recaps and reviews, and then another news episode and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> Unless we decide not to do a news episode, which may be a thing. I don't even know. Dear God. But yeah. anyway, who knows? Until then, guys, keep some DC on your screen. What we're, we're, we're going to have to start calling sections like that is like elongated bat wieners. 
Check out this extended section of Batwiener. Spring forward at Banana Republic Factory with 50 to 70% off everything. Shop season favorites from colorful dresses to easy tops from $19.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Enjoy 50 to 70% off almost everything at Gap Factory and GapFactory.com. Shop tees from $6.99 and joggers from $24.99. Plus extra 15% off online. Exclusions apply. Shop the sale through April 6th. Better Banking is getting an unbelievable 0.99% APR rate on a home equity line of credit from First Commonwealth Bank to turn your bathroom into your, wow, I love this bathroom, bathroom. 0.99% introductory APR for six months that adjusts to a variable rate based on Wall Street Journal prime rate plus or minus a margin with a minimum rate of 2.99% and a maximum rate of 18%. Offer subject to change or withdrawal at any time. Call 1-800-711-2265 for details about credit costs and terms. Equal housing lender, First Commonwealth Bank, member FDIC.